Tuning in for uh, Elaine tonight. We're in 1 Corinthians 13, if you take your Bibles there, 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, continuing our, I get probably a three-message series on this chapter, on improving our love, our loving. I remember years ago, I came across a, a comic in a newspaper, and it was the earth talking to the moon. And the earth said, it's not the heat, it's the humanity. And I think sometimes that might reflect how we feel. Uh, we don't really like often the people that surround us. Sometimes people are hard to love. Loving people is a challenge that all of us face. Frederick the Great said, the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. I don't know if that's how you've ever felt before. But uh, yet we're called to love one another. That's why we need 1 Corinthians 13. We need to know what love is. Now, in pop culture and movies and songs, love is probably the most talked about, written about, sung about, read about subject in the world. But the paradox is it's probably the least understood in our world today. We need to know what it looks like, especially in the nitty-gritty of life when uh, times are difficult and when people are difficult. We need to know what love, what God's love is all about. Sometimes love is difficult to define, but easy to describe. I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but uh, you know love when you see it, don't you? I, I like what one woman said, I knew my husband loved me when he looked at me the same as he did the refrigerator. Uh, whatever it is that uh, really shows true love in another person, you know it when you see it. You know it when you feel it. We know, though, that love is not primarily a feeling. It is an action. Love is an action word. It's a verb more than it is an, uh, an, uh, a uh, noun. We live in an age that honors feelings almost above everything. You notice that? You watch the news and watch people's reaction to things. Live in a time of safe spaces. If I would have, I was in college in, a few years ago, and uh, if I would have in college asked where the safe spaces were, I'd have probably gotten a swirly. I don't know if it would have went very well, but today it's all about safe spaces. Uh, we live in a time when your feelings become my facts, and I have to act, or we have to act on other people's feelings rather than what is true or false. Anyone who disagrees or hurts our feelings must be silenced. And you see very uh, harsh treatment towards anybody today. Hey, we know free speech is very much under attack in our nation today. People aren't uh, allowed anymore to say what they think if it doesn't fit uh, pop culture's general uh, feelings about things. So there's not room for alternate facts. It's all about how people feel. We do what we want, when we want, because we feel like it. If we don't feel like it, we don't do it. And right or wrong, if we do feel like it, we do it. That's how generally society lives today. But as we come to 1 Corinthians 13 we see absolutely no focus on personal feelings. I find that interesting. In fact, as we read through these verses tonight, try to find where your feelings enter into the picture. They don't. This is all about right and wrong, and it's all about God's instruction. It's not about our feelings, and this is the way that we ought to live as a Christian. The kind of love that Paul is talking about is seen and experienced and demonstrated as we look through these verses. It may start in a feeling of attraction or compassion or pity, the way that we uh, treat other people. Sometimes um, that's how some of 
you men probably got married out of pity, you know, however it is, but uh, attraction or compassion or pity may start there, but it doesn't end there. Love does not end with a general feeling of attraction. Now, we understand that love, uh, we call it puppy love and, and that feeling you have when you're dating. All of that, those things, they go away eventually and you get down to life and then love, the action, the type of love, 1 Corinthians 13, has to kick in or we're going to be very miserable people because feelings only go for so long. And uh, that, that, that's why this feelings isn't really in the picture. Uh, here in this chapter. So let's uh, read a couple of verses here, starting at uh, verse number 4 of chapter 13. We looked at verses 1 through 3 last week. Uh, let's start at verse number 4 now. Again, I remind you, charity means love. Okay, so uh, it's old uh, English word here, charity, but that's uh, the, the original meaning is, is directly translated love. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. It doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. This is all descriptions of God's love. Father, I ask you to use this. Help us to find areas in our life in which we are lacking these and apply them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at the first three verses. We discussed how love is absolutely indispensable. It's the most important, it's more, most important thing. It is actually more important, the first three verses tell us, than eloquent communication. It's more important than spiritual gifts. And it's more important than personal sacrifice. All those things are good. But the Bible says we can have all those things. And if we have not love, I'm nothing. We have nothing. And so we have the... All bases, if you have all the bases of religion, all these things, uh, uh, the way to communicate the gospel, all the spiritual gifts and the uh, willingness to sacrifice yourself, if it don't have love, it absolutely means nothing. And this just shatters the way many people live their Christian life. Because it's all about what I do, what I do, what I do, what I do, or my gifts or my abilities, and we put so much focus on that. And Paul just knocks that out with one knockout punch, says if you don't have love, you got nothing. You are nothing. Love is so important. The Apostle Paul now begins to describe in verse 4 in the text that we read what love looks like, how it acts. Verses 4 through 7 contain 15 short phrases that show us the full spectrum of love. These verses are a beautiful description of love. As we examine them, I hope that we are prepared to make adjustments in our life. Because as you look at each description and we apply it and we break them down, you might recognize some things as, oh boy, I'm lacking in that area in my life. And in the end of the message, I'm going to challenge you to specifically note which ones you are lacking and make some practical steps to build those uh, character traits in your life. If you take these verses seriously, we will be convicted and prompted to a new way of loving Tonight I want to look at the 11 descriptions found of love in verses 4 through 6. Three of them are positive and eight of them are negative, telling us what love is not. Three of them tell us what love is. As if to say, let me tell you what love is not, and let me tell you what it is, so even the husbands can understand it. Amen? That's what we're looking at tonight. Let's look first at love's choice. Verse number 4, charity suffereth long and is kind, 
And uh, we'll look at those two first of all. The Bible says that charity suffereth long. So first of all, if you're writing these lists down, love, and I hope you are, uh, because this is something we want to review at the end. We want to look at our life and make sure these, uh, these character traits are in our life. But the Bible tells us here that love is patient. The original word that is translated suffereth long here is translated patient six times in the New Testament. It means never tired of waiting. Uh, the Greek word means not to lose heart. Love is slow to give in to resentment, to despair, and to anger. To have patience with difficult people in difficult situations. That's not an easy request, is it? To have patience with people. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman, never in a man. I don't know who wrote that before, but some truth to that. Patience. Suffereth long describes one who has been wronged and they have the power to get even, but they choose not to. That is suffering long. That is patience. During the early days of the Civil War, Edwin Stanton, in fact, he ran against Lincoln for president and he was an outspoken critic of Abraham Lincoln. He said horrible things about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, you know, we look at politics today and we think how ugly it is. Uh, and sometimes if if you haven't read or you don't, Remember history, it was ugly long ago too. In the early days, it was very ugly too. And they said many evil and awful things about Abraham Lincoln, calling him an ape and calling him a fool and a buffoon. And, and uh, Edwin Stanton was a leader in these voices. And he held Lincoln in utter contempt, calling him a gorilla and a clown. Lincoln knew about these slanders and he never retaliated, even after he became president. And when he could have used his power to hurt Edwin Stanton... Uh, when it came time to choose someone to oversee the war effort, Lincoln chose Stanton. When asked why, why would you choose somebody who's been so vicious to you? Lincoln simply answered, he's the best man for the job, and so that's who I'm going to put in that position. In April of 1865, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, and Stanton stood weeping over Lincoln's body and said these words, there lies the greatest ruler of men that the world has ever seen. That's patience winning in the end. Lincoln could have cracked down and did everything he can to destroy Stanton, but he showed patience and he showed love. And in the end, he won him over and he became one of his greatest uh, partners in, what the, in, in that war effort. Patience is bitter, but its fruit is very sweet. And it's not easy at times to have that patience, but you'll be glad in the end, the payoff is always worth it. And patience is not only the ability to wait, this is where it gets harder, but it is the uh, having a good attitude while you do it. Sometimes we have no choice but to wait. One of the things that annoys me, I do not like drive throughs Not a fan of drive throughs And occasionally, last week I had to go through a drive through because I walked up to the door and it's locked. And all I, uh, my only choice was to go through the drive through So I got... And one of the things I hate about drive throughs is when you can't escape. Like Burger King over here in town, there's no, there's no side. If it gets too long, you wait too long, you can leave, you know, because your time's too valuable. But sometimes you get into these tracks and the car is a car behind you, there's a curb or a wall to the right, and you're just stuck there. And you have to wait. You have to have patience. And patience is one thing, but having a good attitude while you wait is a whole other thing entirely. That's what this word means, patience. Consider nature. Grass would represent persistence. 
You cut it, it grows, you cut it, it grows, you cut it, it still grows, you cut it, it just keeps coming back. Persistence. Trees represent their picture of patience. Uh, It takes a long time, but eventually they reach great heights. And you'll only reach great heights in your life if you have patience. How much better life will be with patience. And then the second one, he says, and is kind. Love is kind. Love is quick to help others. It is eager to reach out to those in need. Mark Twain called kindness a language that the deaf can hear and the blind can read. He was right because even an animal can recognize kindness. Everybody appreciates kindness. We ought to be kind because every person we meet is battling something we don't know anything about. Think about that. Everyone that we come across, they are dealing with personal situations. They might not make it known. But you can bet that there's some battles going on in their life and kindness might just help make it better. Whenever there's a human being in front of you, there's an opportunity for you to have kindness. Put on a smile. Be gentle and kind to them. Abraham Lincoln said, Kindness is the only service that will stand in the storm of life and not wash out. It will be remembered long after the prism of politeness or the complexion of courtesy has faded away. Kindness. I bet you if we went around tonight... We could probably get testimony from each one of us that remember some act of kindness that might have happened 10, 20, 30, even 40 years ago. Because when someone is kind to us, we remember it. It means something. Kindness uh, has a great impact on people. So those are two positives. And then look at love's refusal. The third thing he said here about love, charity envieth not. Love does not envy. This is the sin of those who think others have too much and they have too little. Benjamin Franklin said, It is the eyes of other people that ruin us. If all but myself were blind, I should want neither a fine house nor fine furniture. Love is generous. It does not begrudge others their gifts. How do you respond to the prosperity of others? What's the first reaction you have when somebody else pulls up in a new truck or a new car or they get a new house or they get a promotion at work and, and something good happens to someone, what's your first response? How, what do you, how do you respond to the prosperity of others if they do better than you or if they prosper when you don't? If their ha- family seems happy while yours is torn apart, how do you react? The Bible says that love does not envy. It doesn't envy others. Years ago, well, all growing up, we had cows. And cows, I'm convinced, um, I'm convinced they're the dumbest creatures on planet Earth. Cows, they're just really, really dumb, dumb animals. And I would, I, there's many times I got very frustrated. That's why I'm such a tremendously patient person today, because I work with cows growing up. But we were, one day, it was after breakfast, and we were in the living room getting ready for our day, and we looked out the window, and we had two pastures that, well, we had a, a fence that kind of split. It was one altogether, but there was two sections there. And there was a cow on this side of the fence, and there was a cow on that side of the fence. And you ever seen a cow where they reach through the fence and they're trying to graze grass on the other side because the grass is so much greener, so much better over there. It's the same thing. but they're, And so you had one reaching your neck, just stretching as far as she could to graze on that side. Meanwhile, the cow on the other side had her neck stretched through this fence and was reaching as far as she could to graze on this side. Both of them trying to get what was on the other side. That's envy. That's how we live. 
That's how we are sometimes, always thinking that what that person has is better or what's on the other side of the fence is better than what I have. And uh, we have a very big problem that we have to deal with in our life sometimes. There's a, l- a lot of people uh, that I've met and, that I, and many times in my own life never being happy with what they have. Comparison, can I tell you, is the enemy of joy. I promise you. You start comparing, it's going to rob you of your joy. If I just had what the Joneses have. That's the keeping up with the Joneses syndrome. If you had what the Joneses have, you'd be just as miserable as the Joneses are. That's the truth of the matter. If they win where you lose, can you lose gracefully? Can you walk away without bitterness? If you live long enough, you're going to find someone who has more than you have, who seems to have, life seems easier for them than it is for you. You'll meet people with your talents and your gifts and your abilities, yet they have much more than you have. How do you respond to that? Love does not envy, the Bible says. If you have God's love in your heart, you're not going to envy others for what they have. You'll find people who surpass you in every way. What do you do? This is the test. This is one of the tests of love, if you'll have envy. Here's here's the worst thing. When someone's less talented than you, they have less intelligence than you, they have less schooling than you, and yet they're way ahead of you in the game of life. That's really frustrating, isn't it? How do we respond? The Bible says love does not envy. Proverbs 23, 17, Let not thine heart envy sinners. Be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Love does not envy. And then next, love, number four, does not boast. The Bible says charity vaunteth not itself. (coughs) Love does not brag. It is not pompous or conceited. Love does not have an exalted opinion of itself. It is not eager to gain the applause of others. The Greek word that's translated vaunteth here means extolling oneself excessively. Sometimes we would be better off by saying nothing at all. But the, uh, Proverbs 27, 2, I like what this says. Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. Have you ever spent much time around a braggart? All they do is talk about all their accomplishments and how wonderful they are. Those are real fun people to hang around, aren't they? It's just a real joy to hear how great and wonderful they are. The fool talks about what he will do. The boaster talks about what he has done. The wise man says nothing and just does. Let's be the wise man. Sometimes it's a good idea just to keep our mouths shut. The Bible says let someone else praise you. Don't sit around. If you have to praise yourself, then uh, that is never a good thing. Watch out for people who are always bragging about what they are. You know a lion never goes around bragging that he's a lion? He's just a lion. And people uh, treat him appropriately, or they should. Uh, Love does not boast. You can't tell by the toot of the horn how much gas is in the tank. Just live your life, do the right thing, let another man praise thee. Love does not boast. Then he goes on. Love is not puffed up. Uh, Love is not proud. David Rhodes said that pride is the dandelion of the soul. The roots go deep, its seeds lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks, and it flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. Pride, or I'm sorry, love is not puffed up. In other words, quite literally the meaning here, love is not full of hot air. (laughs) I bet when I said that, you thought of someone in your mind, somebody that's full of hot air. 
And uh, we know people like that. But what that really means is love does not have an inflated opinion about itself. Most people, what's the old saying? If you can buy him for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth, you'd make it a tremendous profit. Because most of us value ourselves higher than we really are. But love is not proud. I read about one young girl, a uh, young lady who went to her pastor and confessed the sin of vanity. And uh, he says, vanity, it's kind of odd. You don't usually hear people uh, want counsel on having vanity. And, and she, he says, well, what makes you think you have vanity? And she says, every morning when I look in the mirror, I just think about how beautiful I am, how gorgeous I am. And the pastor said, don't worry, my girl, that isn't sin. That's bad eyesight. Uh, but some people are very, very full of vanity, and they are uh, very prideful. Think about the true greatest people in history. Most of them seem rather ordinary, and humility is usually a trait in great people. Uh, people who are not full of themselves, listen to this, people who are not full of themselves are more apt to do great things. People who are full of themselves, that's where their focus is, and they won't accomplish as much. While the disciples spoke of their own greatness, in fact, they were arguing amongst themselves which one was the greatest. That's when Jesus took a towel and began to wash his disciples' feet. And who made the greater impact that night? Jesus did. Pride can be your undoing. Absalom, in the Old Testament, his hair, I'd have loved to see Absalom's head of hair. His hair was so glorious that he weighed it every year. And it was heavy. I mean, he had a lot of hair. So he had such a head of hair that he weighed it every year. Do you know what killed him? His hair got caught in a branch, hung him, uh, and then, of course, he was killed. But that's what got him snagged up was his hair. Pride can be your undoing. Spurgeon said, be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. We just ought not to be proud. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Love is not proud. And then going to verse 5, love does not behave itself unseemly. Love is not rude. This means that love is not ill-mannered. It doesn't do things that it regrets later. Love is polite. It is considerate. It is courteous. It focuses on the needs and feelings of others. Love has good manners. It puts others at ease. There's a graciousness about the person who has real godly Christian love. They have a charisma that the world does not have. By this shall all men know that you're my disciple if you have love for one another. There's a, it's an identifying factor of the Christian. Love is. Uh, real love seeks only the good of others. It is unselfish. Look at Jesus' life. Can't we see this type of love displayed in his life? Absolutely. Here's some interesting... I, I, I'm not going to... I just saw this and I thought it was interesting. I'll pass it on to you. Uh, I'm not making any new statements or anything. But Coventry Patmore writes this. Courtesy is the only virtue that will be practiced in heaven. I wonder if that's so. Listen to what he says. Courage? No, there won't be courage in heaven because there's nothing to fear. He said hope... There won't be anything to hope for in heaven. We got all that we ever desired. Charity? No, because there shall be no one that hungers and nor thirst. Sympathy? No, there won't be sympathy because there's nobody to feel sorry for. There's nothing anybody's going to be lacking. 
and there won't be any more crying, but there will still be room for the exercise of courtesy. I find that interesting. Courtesy. As Christians, we need to love people. Always treat a human being as a person. Uh, and the end is himself, not as a means to your end. Uh, the, Paul said this when he said, I seek you, not yours. I'm not looking what you can do for me. I'm looking what I can do for you. That's the right idea and the, the attitude of love. Treat people the way that you would be treated. It's sad. This is a sad fact, but we can probably all identify with this. We all know really nice, unsaved people. And then we also know Christians who are dirty rascals, rude and mean and harsh. That ought not be. And that's why 1 Corinthians is here. It's instruction for us. A, a Christian should be uh, not be a nasty person, should not have an ugly temperament. As Christians, we need to be kind, mannerly. We need to be genuine, need to be friendly, because you can change the world around you by just changing yourself. And if you take on these uh, traits that love, you're making an impact to those around you. Jesus epitomized kindness and love when he talked about turning the other cheek, returning good for evil, uh, returning love for hatred. A pleasant personality can overcome many, many hurdles in life. And so Paul says love is not rude. All right, let's keep going. It is not, uh, does not behave itself unseemly and then seeketh not her own. Love is not self-seeking. Love takes no thought for itself. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not stubborn about things that don't matter. Love serves and doesn't worry about who gets the credit. Now, this is tough because we are very self-focused people by, by nature. We're very selfish people. You have to beat selfishness out of you. I've often said, if you want to see the purest demonstration of selfishness, work in the nursery, and you'll see selfishness on display. Kids will bunk each other on the head just for a truck and a piece of candy or something. But kids are selfish. Babies, they are selfish. And kids and, and toddlers, they're selfish. And only as we grow and mature, we learn not to be selfish. Something we have to beat out of ourselves. From uh, an article in Psych Central, I read the 10 signs of a selfish person. Let me read you some of these. Having no regard for how their behavior impacts others. Consistently acting in their own self-interests instead of meeting the needs of others. Having no empathy for the suffering of other people. Showing no remorse when they've hurt other people. Using manipulation tactics to get what they want. Always asking for favors, never doing favors. Uh, being unkind or their kindness comes with a price attached to it. Using others to get what they want, not giving back to others. And number 10, feeling entitled to always getting what they want, even if others get hurt in the process. We are self-focused. But the Bible says we got to change that. The love seeketh not her own. Uh, and we ought to live uh, that way. We need to manifest that in our life. And num number eight, is not easily provoked. Love is not easily angered. Uh, you know what? Let's skip over this one. That one hits a little close to home, man. Some of these, it'd be nice to skip some of these, wouldn't it? But we'll have to attack it anyway. Love is not easily provoked. It doesn't have a quick temper. It's not irritable. Uh, rather, love is good-natured. Love is quick to forgive. 
Many of us tend to look at anger and uh, kind of excuse ourselves. Uh, we look at it as a matter of a temperament or something that we got because of the way that our family is or our personality is. And uh, I've, I've even heard somebody say this before. I know I get angry and I'm an angry person, but that's just the way I am. It's the way my father was. It's the way that I am. I got to tell you, friend, we're not called to be the way that we am. We're called to be the way that he is. Uh, that's what Romans 8, 28 and 29 talks about. He wants to transform us into the image of his son. We're not supposed to act the way that we are. We are a lot of things we ought not be. That's why he gives us passages like these. Henry Drummond says that ill temper is that it is the vice of the virtuous. Men and women that can be all but perfect in every way that they live their life. They've got good standards. They go to church. They read their Bible. They pray. They do a lot of good things, but they're easily upset or quick-tempered. Some uh, people excuse their anger and their temper. Yes, I, get, uh, I lose my temper a lot, but it's all over in a few minutes, and I'm good again. Uh, so is a nuclear bomb, but it causes a lot of damage in the process. It's over pretty quickly, but there's a lot of damage done in a very short time. And your temper is a sign of what's in your heart. Anger that comes forth comes from the heart. Jesus said, out of the heart proceedeth all evil thoughts and adulteries and all those things he lists there. You really want to make an impact? Proverbs 16:32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his own spirit is uh, than he that taketh a city. Love is not easily angered. And then looks at the next one, verse uh, number 9. Thinketh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, is not easily provoked. Yeah, thinketh no evil. Love keeps no record for wrongs committed to it. Love does not impute evil. It does not go around blaming others for bad things that happen. Love does not brood over injustices and injuries received at another person. Now listen to me because this is getting, this is going to hit close to home. This is where you want to slide your feet back a little bit because we're going to start stomping on them a little bit, okay? Because we do this, do this a lot. Somebody hurts us and we hold on to it. Love, the Bible says, doesn't do that. Love doesn't keep a record. It is not suspicious of others. It is not cynical of good deeds done by others. I, I'm guilty of that many times. Somebody does something good and you wonder, hmm, what are they up to? <laughs> love doesn't do that. Love doesn't question the motives of other people. Love just accepts it and uh, is grateful for it. Uh, it's not quick to remember a personal offense done by others. Many people keep mental lists of the slights that they have suffered. They never get over what's happened in the past. They dwell on it and as a result... They let the past shape their present, which in turn ruins their future. we got to get over that and move beyond it. More than once, unfortunately. Uh, it's happened to my wife a couple of times, and it's happened to me a couple of times in ministry. We'll uh, have someone ask to meet with us, <coughs> and when we sit down, I always, know it's, I always know it's going to be a fun thing when they pull out their legal pad. They've got a long list of things. And uh, one time, I, uh, we had a, a long meeting with a, a gentleman in our church. And, and uh, I mean, he had a long list of uh, infractions or uh, offenses. And we went through all of them, whereas ours, we sat and talked and worked through that. And, and uh, we prayed together. We left. I thought everything was resolved. And about 
Three months later, he asked to meet again, and uh, he had the same legal pad, and the thing was, he had now two pages, and the first list had never thrown away. The first list is still there. I remember thinking to myself, I thought we resolved that, but evidently we didn't. And so uh, when you just keep hanging on to those things, uh, that is so harmful to your spirit, and love doesn't do that. Love pulls out a big lighter and burns that list. That's what love does, and we ought to be willing to do that. Don't dwell on it. Love is quick to hit the delete key. Love doesn't keep a record of the wrong suffered. And then uh, the third section here, starting at verse six, is lo- six is love's outlook. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. Love does not delight in evil. It takes no pleasure in wrongdoing. Love is not glad about injustice. Love is not happy when evil triumphs. You ever had something happen to somebody you're not particularly fond of and you're glad for it? Serves them right? Love doesn't do that. Love never does that. Love never rejoices in iniquities or uh, bad things happen to others. Love is never glad to hear the bad news about another person. Love never says, well, they got what they deserve. Love doesn't do that. Not God's love. And we ought to be careful in our lives as well. Love does not enjoy passing along bad news. And this goes against the grain of our modern life. In fact, I heard a newspaper editor say one time, bad news sells and good news goes on page five. That's kind of how our news works today. People love to pass on bad news. Do you notice the excitement? always irritates me every year. You, when they start to announce snow, do you see their excitement and their glee? Oh, we're in for a big snow. That snow's coming. That's bad news, but it seems like they enjoy it. I don't know why they smile when they talk about it. And, uh, but people like to pass on bad news and gossip and rumors and all those things. Love turns away from all that. Even when the rumors turn out to be true, Love takes no pleasure in the misfortunes of others. And then number 11, love rejoices with the truth. Look what it says. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, verse 6, but rejoiceth in the truth. This is the flip side of the previous phrase. Love takes joy in what is good and true and right and holy and pure. Love cheers when truth wins out. Now, how can we live this way? How can we love without envy, without anger, without seeking our own, without thinking evil? The answer is, if we really get honest with ourselves, we can't. We can't do it on our own. This is why, this is talking about God's love. God is love. We're not necessarily love. The Bible says God is love. And we need to allow His love to manifest itself through us. This isn't some kind of rah-rah competition where we prove our love by, uh, by our enthusiasm or improve our love by our enthusiasm. Sooner or later, we've got to get to the bottom of things and just admit the truth. I don't think there's anything wrong with an honest assessment and coming to God and saying, God, I can't stand this person. I, I've tried to love them, but I can't love them. I don't love my neighbors the way I should. I can barely stand my own family. And God, you have to help me because I don't love the way that I should. I want to love them, and if you don't help me, I'll never love the way that I should. I can't change the way that I am, but Lord, please help me and change me from within and let your love flow through me. 
I think if we get to that point and realize the own fertility of our own efforts and ask God to do it, He will. That's the kind of prayer that God loves to answer. I also think it helps if we replace, just as a mental practice, this whole passage and switch out the word charity with the word Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus thinks no evil. Jesus is not quick-tempered. He doesn't rejoice in evil. Your life will begin to change as Jesus becomes very prominent in your heart and your life. Now, practically speaking, we need to put these things into practice. I'd like you to take some time, maybe tonight, if you've got a few minutes after church, you get home and you've got a minute to sit down, and just consider the 11 qualities of love in this passage that we've talked about tonight. Think about them one by one and do a personal inventory. How are you doing in each one of these areas? Now, no doubt, because we're people, no doubt in my mind that all of us need to improve in some of those areas. You'll be better in some areas than I am, and I might be better in other areas than you are. But there are certain ones here that we must work and to improve on. So, which three qualities? Here's the, here's the uh, homework assignment. You're going to get homework tonight. Here's the homework assignment. Which three qualities that we've talked about tonight do you struggle with the most? Find them. Maybe you already know them as we're going through. Oops, that hurt a little bit. That's when uh, the preacher's preaching and all God's people said, Ugh! you know, that's sometimes what happens. And uh, you might have seen it, but which three qualities stand out as the greatest need in your life? Circle those three and begin to pray about them and put them, uh, write down a practical step that you can take to improve that one that you're struggling with. If you have no kindness and you have a hard time being kind, put a practical step. Once a day, you're going to work on being kind to one person, at least one, and then increase that as you go along. Uh, Anger or, or patience. I got no patience. Well, I don't know. Go through a drive-thru every day. That seems to either ruin my day or make me better. Uh, work on things that give you patience. I was going to say take 20th Street, but I guess it's open now. Huh? That was a patience teacher, wasn't it? Uh, trying to go through all kinds of mazes to get to where you want to go. Ask God to help you grow in these areas. And he will. Again, these are prayers God loves to answer. If God tells you to do such and such, and you say, God, help me do what you say to do, and he loves to answer those prayers, and he will. In December, we're slowly climbing towards Bethlehem. On December 25th, we're going to celebrate the supreme expression of God's love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And that's uh, the greatest expression of love. So, maybe it's a good thing for us to read 1 Corinthians 13 over and over this month and just let it saturate your life. As these words become part of your life, you'll find God's love, the right kind of love, becoming a daily reality for you. So I encourage you, pick the ones you struggle with and start working on them. Work on your love. Love better. Love more like God does. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We ask you, Father, to